uh, you know, just to tell you ahead of time, there's a little, uh, there's a little teaching uh, that is brought down that the last week of the year, every day of that week, you can rectify the Averis of that particular day. Uh, this is not the last Sunday. Next Sunday is Erev Rosh Hashanah, but starting tonight, every day of the week is going to be the last day of the year, the last, year of 50, the last day of 5782. So it's very misugal that uh, on Monday, Sunday night Monday, you can do tshuva for all of the Averis of Monday, Tuesday, etc. And B'Ezus Hashem, you enter Rosh Hashanah in a, in a state of uh, spiritual purity. Uh, last week, we were basically talking generally about uh, the mitzvahs that women are chayavosin and the mitzvahs that women are peturosin. And we went through the principle of uh, mitzvah saseshas mangarama and the many, many exceptions to that principle. Today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, shofar uh, in terms of the halachos of shofar. Actually, not the halachos even, but the evolution, how it changed, how the mitzvah got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because of various... Uh, complications. Now, first of all, with respect to women, remember the bottom line. Uh, amazingly enough, women are exempt. Women are peturos from blowing of a shofar because it is a time-bound positive commandment because it's only on Rosh Hashanah and it's not one of the exceptions, right? So it's very surprising. A woman does not have to hear shofar. Nevertheless, as you know, of course, it is a virtual universal minhag that women do try to hear shofar. And most shoals, even if a woman is not able to go to shoal, most dominionim will arrange at least a separate, after davening, shofar blowing uh, for women because it's an important thing. Now, the truth is, there's also a minog to blow shofar every day during the month of Elul. That I don't think they do for women in particular. If you go to a minion, you'll hear it. If you don't, you don't. But on Rosh Hashanah, both days of Rosh Hashanah, when one of the days is not Shabbos, we try to have uh, women hear shofar uh, the whole the whole time. However, since a woman is not chayeves, there's a there's a very important implication to that, and there are two things you need to know about women versus men. A woman cannot blow shofar for a man. Uh, so even if it's a husband and wife, and the husband is very sick, and the woman is able to blow shofar, uh, you know she can play a trombone or whatever it is. Uh, a woman cannot be motzi a man into kiat shofar. And the reason is very simple. The principle that one person could do a mitzvah for another person is only if that person has an obligation to do the mitzvah. So a goy, for example, even if the goy knows how to blow shofar, cannot blow shofar or make kiddush for a Jew because a goy doesn't have a mitzvah. A child below bar mitzvah cannot make kiddush or do a mitzvah, uh, any mitzvah for his parents, because he doesn't have a chiyuv, an obligation. So by the same token, any mitzvah that women are exempt from, they cannot do for a man, because the man is chayuv, and the woman is pator. So it's not a man-woman thing, it's a chayuv-pator thing. If you are exempt from a mitzvah, you cannot do it for somebody that is chayuv in the mitzvah. This is a klal that the mission itself says. So a woman could make Kiddush for a man because men and women are the same when it comes to Kiddush. Now you have Christians of Tzniyas, but, but certainly a wife could make it for her husband. But a woman cannot blow shofar for a man because he's chayev in shofar and she is not chayev. That's rule number one. 
Rule number two is that since a woman is not chayav, it is not right for the man who is yotze already to make the bracha. So let's assume I'm blowing shofar for my wife or I'm blowing shofar for a woman generally. So who should make the bracha? If I already heard the mitzvah of shofar, uh, the woman should make the bracha rather than the man. The man should not make the bracha for a woman. If a man is being motzi, other men, he can make the bracha again and again and again and again because he's helping people who are chayiv in a mitzvah do their mitzvah. But when he's doing it for a woman, uh, the woman should make the bracha and not the man. So the woman makes the bracha, lishmoa kol shofar. Okay, so those are the two things you need to know. Uh, how many sounds is the shofar going to be blown for the women? That's going to be part of a much longer talk that I'm going to get into now, which is the evolution of the mitzvah of shofar. Okay, so now let's talk about I know evolution sounds like a trafe word in some ways, but uh, in truth, you're going to see that the mitzvah of shofar has changed, has indeed evolved over time because of various shilas and various questions and various arguments. Uh, first of all, where does the Torah say you must blow a shofar on Rosh Hashanah? So the first thing to keep in mind is there actually is no holiday in the Torah that is called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a rabbinic term that appears in the Mishnah. The Torah says in Parshas Emor, which is in the middle of Vayikra, that on the first day of the seventh month shall be a Yom Trua, a day of blowing. Now, it does not say this is the beginning of the year. It, it simply says the first day of the seventh month. Why is it called the seventh month? Because in the Torah, all of the months are counted from Nisan. Nisan is month one, Eor two, Sivan three, Tammuz four, Av five, Elul six, Tishrei is month number seven. Remember, in the Torah, we don't have, months don't have names at all. Right? We don't say Tishrei, Cheshven, Kislev. In the Torah, all months are simply first month, second month, third month, and all the months are counted from Nisan. So it's kind of strange that the beginning of our year is the seventh month. But just look at what the Torah says. The Torah simply says, on the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a teruah. Trua means a blowing or a shouting. Even that's a machlokas. So note a few things. Number one, this holiday is not called Rosh Hashanah. Number two, there is in fact no reason at all given in the Torah why it is a holiday. Like why? Number three, it does not explicitly say the word shofar. It says the word teruah. Now, as a matter of translation, teruah can mean blowing an instrument, or teruah can mean shouting or singing. You know, the Karaites, you know, don't believe in the oral law, they don't blow shofar in Rosh Hashanah. They interpret teruah to mean shouting to God, praying to God. So, 
there's a lot you don't know here. You don't know that it's Rosh Hashanah. You don't know why it's a holiday at all. You don't know that there's a shofar involved. And you don't even know if you're blowing an instrument. Maybe you're just shouting and praying to God. So this is really a great, great example how you really do not understand the Torah Shebechsav. You don't understand the written Torah without the supplementary oral interpretations that Hashem gave to Moshe that were handed down till they were eventually written down. And the Torah Shebaal tells us a lot of things you don't know from the Chumash itself. Number one, it tells you that this is the beginning of the year because this is the day that Adam HaRishain was created. And that's the celebration. Number two, it is the day of judgment because the day that Hashem created mankind is the day that Hashem reevaluates whether we are worthy of life. Again, a preliminary judgment is made on Rosh Hashanah and the final judgment is made on Yom Kippur. Number three, that the word teruah does not mean shouting, but it means blowing in an instrument. Number four, and you do it not by a trumpet, but you do it by an animal horn. That is the meaning of the word shofar. So even with all of this, we know that you have to blow a shofar on Rosh Hashanah, an animal horn. Now, what type of animal horn? It does not have to be a ram. The fact, that, the fact that we use a ram's horn, a ram is a male sheep, that's a minhag because we want to connect it to the Akedah of Yitzchak where there was a ram. But you can use antelope. Have you ever seen these gigantic shofars that the Yemenites use? Those are not from rams. Those are from like antelope or various types of... That's kosher. In fact, even a shofar from a non-kosher animal might be kosher. The only animal you cannot use for a shofar is you cannot use the horn of a cow or a bull. Don't tell Okay, you know why you went through all that already? No, we're, we're well doing the Gemara now. Oh, so I shouldn't tell you, okay. okay. okay Maybe so you I, should. Right. Right. Yeah. It might help us a little. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit. I mean, I mean there are some different possibilities. But the main reason why you cannot use the horn of a cow or a bull is because this is connected to the golden calf the Chet Egel, and when you're seeking mercy from Hashem, you don't wave your sin in front of Hashem and ask for mercy. The Gemara uses a very famous expression that's even entered modern Hebrew, that is, Ein Kategor Nase Sanegor. A prosecutor cannot be the best defense attorney because a prosecutor always looks for faults and failures, and he's not really going to defend you. So when you brandish something that's reminiscent of the Chet Egel in front of Hashem, Hashem knows it anyway, but you're kind of you know, making fun almost by saying, hey, Hashem, have mercy on me, and you're you know, blowing around the horn of a cow. So that's although a cow is a perfectly kosher animal, but it's Ein Kategor Nases Anegor, so you cannot use a cow's horn, or a bull's horn, or a calf's horn, all the same animal, type of animal, uh, for tekiah shofar. There's another example the Gemara gives where you're not allowed to use something that's reminiscent of the sin of the golden calf, and that is the Kohen Gadol's normal uniform has gold thread in it. 
But when he goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, he has to wear pure white linen. He does not wear any gold when he goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And the reason that's given, once again, is gold is connected to the Chet HaEgel, and when he's seeking mercy for the Jewish people, he does not wear anything that's connected to the Chet HaEgel. So the idea of Ein Kategor Nasas HaNegor, the idea that the prosecutor cannot be a defense attorney comes up in two places. It comes up with a chauffeur of a cow, and it comes up with the Kohen Gadol not wearing gold on Yom Kippur. Now, because of this last thing, there is a minug, this is not a din, there is a minug, number one, that many people do not wear gold jewelry on Yom Kippur, uh, and that includes men and women. If a man has a gold watch or something, he would not wear a gold watch on Yom Kippur, and it's also the minug of wearing white. Many people do wear white. Many men will wear a kittel, and many women will also uh, dress in, in white, and part of that is that all of us want to be pure like the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. And the same logic is we don't wear gold. But again, I want to emphasize, be sure you know the difference between the din and the minug. The din of gold is only the Kohen Gadol entering the Kodesh HaKadoshim. There is no prohibition outside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim to wear gold. The minug has been that we don't wear gold on Yom Kippur. And then there's a machlokas. Does that apply only to yellow gold or also to white gold? Some people are actually mako for white gold, but it's better to be uh, to be strict on. Or fake gold. Or fake gold. Fake gold is really totally fake. Yeah. In other words, one hundred percent not gold. Yeah, like my earrings are definitely not gold. Okay. okay. They're gold colored. Okay. Okay. Well, as I say, I believe it's real gold. It doesn't apply to the color of gold. Oh. Okay. But then there's always, you know, what's called Marisayan. People think, right. people suspect yeah. you, etc. So you don't want to, you don't want to be guilty of that. You know, Marisayan. There's, there's an interesting book that was published uh, maybe 30 years ago, when black becomes a rainbow. It's an interesting story about a woman uh, and her husband who were not religious, and they had a daughter who became very, very Haredi, and got married. And it's written from the non-religious parents' perspective, all of the different conflicts that she had with her daughter and how they worked them out. It's in an interesting book at the end that it talks about uh, how you kind of live together and love each other even though the child is religious and the mother is not. So what's interesting is that um, they're from Australia. So when the daughter would visit and the mother would want to take them to like a kosher-style trafe restaurant to show off to her friends, so every, t- every time the daughter kept on saying, mm, Marisayan, Marisayan, can't do it, Marisayan. So the mother thought Marisayan is a person, Morris, Marisayan. So she finally gets upset and she says, who is this Marisayan? Like you're always talking about him, like he's always watching you. What is it? But you know, Marisayan indeed means the appearance, right? You don't do things. In modern Hebrew you would say, Maritayan. Okay, but she said it to the... Yiddish way, Marisayan, Marisayan, etc. Okay, so that would be an issue to consider. Alrighty, so other than that though, going back to Shofar, other than that, all animal horns are kosher. Antelope, goat, uh, etc. Zebra, not zebra, but uh, rhinoceros horn might be kosher, although it might be hard to get, uh, and the like. Okay. Is what? So that depends if it's hollow. You are correct. That, that is a very, very good point. Uh, there is one requirement that the horn must be naturally hollow 
in the sense that although it's, it grows around the bone, but you can separate the horn from an inner bone. But if you take a solid piece of bone and you try to hollow it out, that's not a kosher shofar. A shofar has to be a naturally hollowed horn that grows around the bony core. So, so you, are, you are correct. Uh, a lot of uh, horns would not be suitable because they are not naturally hollow. They have to be hollowed. And a shofar cannot come from that way. Okay. I don't know about a rhinoceros horn, but that would be, you are correct, that would be the shaila of the rhinoceros horn. Okay. So we now know a lot of information that we didn't know from the Chumash itself. We now know you got to blow a shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Great. How many times do you have to blow a shofar on Rosh Hashanah? So, truah is one blast, or one set of sounds. But it says the word truah three times. One time in uh, Parshas Emor, Yom Truah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Zichron Truah, in remembrance of blowing. The second time is in Parshas Pinchas, Yom Truah. Yes, the first one is Zichron Truah in Parshas Emor, a remembrance of blowing. That's in Parshas Emor. The second is in Parshas Pinchas in Chumash Bar where it says Yom Truah. So it says Truah twice by Rosh Hashanah, one in Parshas Emor and one in Parshas Pinchas. Now, the third time is not by Rosh Hashanah at all. It is by the mitzvah of the Jubilee year, Yovel. What is Yovel? Every 50 years, a Jubilee year is proclaimed in Eretz Yisrael. Slaves go free. All land goes back to its original owners. And a shofar is blown on the Yom Kippur of Yom. In addition to the regular Rosh Hashanah shofar, a special shofar blowing is done on the Yom Kippur of Yovel, where it says, Vahavartem shofar trua. Now, question. Do we keep Yovel today at all? And why don't we? Now, we know we keep Shemitah. In fact, we're in a Shemitah. We're finishing Shemitah. That every seventh year in the land of Israel, we don't farm the land. And when we eat the fruit that grows by themselves, we have to eat them with special halachas. Right? Shemitah is a big deal in Eretz Israel. Now the question is, if you have seven Shemitahs, would you then have a Yovel afterwards? So the halacha is, we do not keep Yovel today at all. And the reason is because Yovel is a special situation that only applies if most of the Jewish people are living in the land of Israel. If most of the Jewish people are not living in the land of Israel, we do not keep Yovel. So we keep Shemitah. We do not keep Yovel. Nevertheless, when, and that's why I want to point out, 
not only do we not keep Yovel today, we didn't even keep Yovel during the second base of Mikdash. And we didn't even keep Yovel in the first base of Mikdash after the ten tribes were exiled. Because after the ten tribes were exiled, which was over a hundred years before the destruction of the first base of Mikdash, most of the Jews were not living in Eretz Israel. So we haven't had Yovel for a very long time. We had, didn't have it in the second base of Mikdash, and we didn't even have it in the last hundred years of the first base of Mikdash. So we don't observe Yovel until Mashiach comes. But when there was Yovel, a shofar would be blown on Yom Kippur itself to announce the Yovel year. In a strange way, although the year begins Rosh Hashanah, the Yovel laws begin on Yom Kippur. The slaves going free and the like. Now, Chazal say, they use a similarity of wording. It says Trua by an Emor, it says Trua in Pinchas, and it says Trua by Yovel. So we combine them all. On Rosh Hashanah, you have to blow three Trua sounds. Trua is a broken sound. Da, 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 da. You've got to blow three of them. Okay, so look, so, so we're getting further and further. We're still very, very far from what we do today. But I'm showing you how you're getting, as you get more and more data, your picture gets bigger. You started off, you didn't even know you have to blow a shofar. The oral law teaches me a shofar. How many times? Three truos. Because it says trua in Emor, it says trua in Pinchas, and then we bring in the trua of Yaiva. Now, we have another rule that's derived. Every trua must be bracketed with a tekiya before and a tekiya afterwards. Tekiya is a long, unbroken sound. What's the source of that? So the source of that is, is derived from uh, the trumpets. When it says the trumpets, whenever you blow with the trua, you have to blow the tekiah. So we apply it to shofar. Okay. So when we stop there, this now teaches me the first stage of the mitzvah of shofar. The Torah requires on Rosh Hashanah that you blow a tekiah, trua, tekiah, three times much less than we do. In other words, Takiya, Trua, that's one. Do the same thing a second time. Do the same thing a third time. That is all. Takiya, Trua, Takiya, three times. We know you need three Truas, and we know that every trua must be bracketed by a tekiah before a tekiah after. So that's how you know. Three tekiah, trua tekiahs. That's it. That's it. Okay? Again, I want you to understand that the Torah's commandment is very, very light. Now, the significance, Hasidus has many beautiful teachings, which I know your other classes will go over, I'm not going to be myrich in it, but there are very deep meanings why the trua must be bracketed by the tekiah. And that is, the trua is a crying sound. It's a, it's a sobbing sound. 
It's the sound of a broken heart. And therefore, it connotes a number of things. It connotes the fear of Hashem's judgment. It also connotes the crying of a Baal Tshuva who wants to become close to Hashem and seek forgiveness. But the tekiah represents joy and simcha, incarnating God. And the lesson is, as the Altar Rebbe writes in Tanya many, many places, that your shvira salev, the brokenheartedness by which you approach Hashem, has to be bracketed with joy, that overall it has to be within the framework of simcha. You can't allow the broken heart to turn into depression, to turn into a lack of feeling. Right? So that's what the Rebbe says, that you have a half an hour a day where you cry and you sob, and the rest of the time there has to be the notion of serving Hashem with simcha, and that's, what, that's actually what Tekiah Shaifer is. The trua is the broken heart, and the Tekiah is the simcha, and the trua has to be bracketed with the simcha before and the simcha after. Okay? So now we'll call this Doraisa. So, the Doraisa mitzvah is Tekiah, Trua, Tekiah, three times. Now, the way we count shofar blowings is we count uh, every Tekiah as one sound and a Trua, even though it's nine you know, blasts, we count that as one. So, so how many sounds have you made with your shofar? Nine. Again, I understand, you, theoretically, you could count the true as nine, but we count the da 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 as one. So, tekiah, trua, tekiah is three. Tekiah, trua, tekiah is three. Tekiah, trua, tekiah is three. Nine sounds. Nine kolos is the mitzvah, the orisa of tekiah shofar. Okay, that is step one. Step two, and it's still going to be very, very different than we do, so... Be careful, don't look at what we do now and read it into it. And I'm giving you a sequence in which a lot of things we do today, we didn't do that. Step two, we know that the Musaf davening of Rosh Hashanah is a very unique Musaf. Uh, a normal Musaf, whether it's Shabbos, Rosh Chaydash, Yom Tif, always has seven brachos. The first three brachos of the Shemona Esrei, the last three brachos of the Shemona Esrei, and then the middle bracha, which is about Shabbos or Rosh Chodesh or Chag. The, and even on Yom Kippur, where the brachos might be longer, it's still only seven brachos. The Amida of Yom Kippur is only seven brachos. The only Musaf that is more than seven brachos is the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. Because in addition to the first three brachos and the last three brachos, we have three middle brachos, not just one middle bracha. And the three brachos are devoted to different themes. The first of the three, these are after the first three brachos, right? So the fourth bracha is malchuyos. We talk about God as king, God as sovereign. The second bracha of the middle ones is called zichronos, that Hashem remembers the good deeds 
of the, our forefathers and of our past. And the third group is shofros. We have various uh, discussions of the shofar blowing of Matan Torah and uh, Mashiach and resurrection of the dead, etc. Malchios, Zichronos, and Shomos. Now, the way these brachas are structured, they're, they're poetically very uh, intricate, they have the same format, and that is, there is a poetic introduction. We then recite ten psukim. Three from the Torah, three from the Kesuvim, all from Tehillim, three from the Nevi'im, and a tenth one from the Torah. So in Malchios, we have Psukim of kingship. Zichronos, we have Psukim where God remembers the good deeds of our forefathers. And in Shofros, we have Psukim about Shofar and all its manifestations, Matan Torah, Akedah, etc. Okay, so you see how it works. In other words, uh, there is a poetic opening which is different for each of the three. There's the recitation of the ten psukim, ten of Malchios, ten zechronos, ten shofros, and then there's a chasima. Then there's a concluding blessing, which is different. For Malchios, it's Melech al Kolaretz, God is the King of the World. Uh, for zechronos, Zocher Habris, He remembers the covenants, and for shofros, it's Shomea Kol Truas, Amo Yisrael Barachamim. He listens to the shofar blowing of the Jewish people with mercy. Right? This is called Malchuyos, Zichronos, and Shofros. Now, here is stage two in Tekiah Shofar. The Chachamim thought it would be a beautiful idea to take the mitzvah of shofar and integrate it into the brachos that are recited in Musaf, that when we proclaim God as king, at the end of that section, we blow the shofar. When we proclaim that God remembers the covenant, we blow the shofar. When we proclaim that God listens to the shofar, that's even more logical, we blow the shofar. So this is stage two. Stage one was simply blowing tekiah, trua, tekiah three times. Any any time you wanted to. You could do it before davening, you could do it after davening. There was no particular place to do it. The, the Torah doesn't care. The Torah didn't care when you did it, as long as you do it. Stage two is the Chachamim wanted to split it up among Malchios, Echronos, and Shofros. So after Malchios, you did tekiah, trua, tekiah once. After zichronos, you did tekiah, trua, tekiah once. After shofros, you did tekiah, trua, tekiah once. Now please pay attention here. At this stage, they did not blow shofar before Musaf, and they did not blow shofar after Musaf. How many times have you blown shofar? You still did it nine times. It's only nine times. But three after Malchios, three after Zichronos, three after Shofros. So you see what stage two did. Stage two simply said, let's take the nine sounds of the shofar 
And three of them will do after Malchios, three after Zichronos, three after Shofros, because that way <coughs> we are using the sounds of the Shofar as bringing our prayers to Hashem. Okay? Now again, it's so, we're so used to the idea that we blow Shofar before Musaf that we automatically think that's what they did. You need to understand they didn't. There was a time in which uh, either you heard the shofar sometime during the day, nine times, or you heard it after Malchios, Sichronos, and Shofros, and that was it. And what's interesting is, as late as the Mishnah, the Mishnah was finished around the year 200 of the Common Era. That's as far as the Mishnah goes. The Mishnah only speaks about blowing the shofar after Malchios, after Zichronos, after Shofros. Right? All the other stuff didn't come until later. Okay. <clears throat> we now come to a stage three, which is going to exponentially increase the number of shofar blowings. Da'oraisa. You have to blow tekiya, trua, tekiya three times. Right? That's the do'oraisa. But what is a true? We know what a tekiya is. A tekiya is an unbroken sound. That we know. But what is a trua? So the one thing we know about a trua is trua is connected to crying. In terms of the Hebrew, it's connected to sobbing or crying. But here is the thing. There were three different customs how this was practiced. In some communities, they did the crying in one way. And in some communities, they did the crying in another way. And the Gemara explains, here are the three versions of crying. Now remember what this is. These are three versions of what the Torah means when it says the word teruah. The Torah says trua, but what is a trua? According to one opinion, what the Torah means when it says trua is what we call shavarim, kind of a groaning. Ay, ay. Ay, shvarim. In other words, in some places, the shvarim was a fulfillment. It's a little confusing because the shvarim was the fulfillment of the trua. In other places, they looked at trua as a whimpering sound. <laughs> what we call trua. And in some places, they looked at it as a combination of sighing and whimpering, which is what we call shavarim trua. Ay, 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 Now, let me point out, the, until the stage I want to get to, nobody was doing both, meaning if you went to some cities, you would hear a tekiah, shavarim tekiah three times, if you went to other cities, you would hear a tekiya trua, well, we call it trua three times. And if you went to a third group of cities, you might hear tekiya shvarim trua three times. Meaning they weren't doing everything. Some were doing it this way, and some were doing it this way. So everybody was only blowing nine, but there were three different opinions. What is a trua? Now again, this is a point that a lot of people get mixed up. You understand what's going on here? The Tyra uses the word trua. But there's a machlokas, or there was a machlokas, 
if the trua of the taira is what is called shavarim, or what is called trua, or what is called shavarim trua. So different communities were blowing shofar in a different way. So a great rabbi, Rabbi Yavohu, who is not a Tana, he's not of the Mishnah, he's an Amora later, thought that it was wrong on Rosh Hashanah for different Jews to have different minhagim. Because one of the ways we come to Hashem and we ask for mercy is we ask for mercy with racha, with unity, with achdus, in Avas Yisrael. So Rabbi Avahu made a takana that every community must combine every option. And that's going to really, really increase. Now, what that means, now, now again though, again, keep in mind, even after Rabbi Avahu's takana, we didn't blow shofar before Musaf and we didn't blow afterwards. We're only blowing in Musaf. So, how did Rabbi Avo change it? Before Rabbi Avo, after Malchios, you would blow a tekiah, trua tekiah once, and that trua could have three versions, but only once. It could be a tekiah, shvarim tekiah, or it could be a tekiah, trua tekiah, or it could be Tekiyah Shvarim Trua Tekiyah, but you only did it once, before Rabbi Abo. After Zichronos, you did it once, but in different ways, three different ways, different communities. And after Shofar, you did it once. After Rabbi Abo, you got to have every variation. So after Malchios, you have to blow a Tekiyah Shvarim Trua Tekiyah once, Tekiyah Shvarim Tekiyah, once, Tekiah Trua Tekiah. Once, after Zichronos, you do the same. After Shofros, you do the same. Can you please repeat that? Yeah. Uh, according to Rabbi, after Rabbi Avos Takana, after Malchios, you would blow a Tekiah Shavarim Trua Tekiah once. A tekiah shavarim tekiah once, a tekiah trua tekiah once. After zechronos, you did the same. After shofros, you did the same. This is Rabbi Avos Takana. Again, there was no shofar blowing before Musaf, and there was no shofar blowing after Musaf. But you see what Rabbi Avos is doing? Rabbi Avos is assuring that whenever you fulfill the Torah's commandment of tekiah, trua, tekiah, you're doing it in all of the options, all of the alternatives that existed. Now, the way we count it, so how many times do you, have you now sounded the shofar? So the way we count it is, every tekiah counts as one sound, every trua counts as one, and a shvarim trua counts as two sounds. Shvarim trua. So you've now gone from 9 to 30, 30. You see how you get 30? Because Tekiah Shavarim Trua Tekiah is 4. Tekiah Shavarim Tekiah is 3. Tekiah Trua Tekiah is 3. 
So after Malchias, you blew the shofar ten times. After Zichronos, you blew the shofar ten times. After Shofarot, you blew the shofar ten times. So you've actually upgraded, so to speak, from nine kolot to 30 kolot. Okay, make sense? Okay. So that's the Takana of Rabbi Yavo. There is a very important tshuva, very important responsum from the greatest of the Gaonim. Uh, just to know your history here, uh, the rabbis of the Mishnah are called Tanaim, singular is Tana, and the rabbis of the Gemara are called Amoran. Tanaim means teachers, Amoran means interpreters, and the singular is Amora. But the rabbis after the Gemara, after the Gemara was finished, so the rabbis who came afterwards are known as the Gaonim. And the Gaonim were also in Babylonia. And they are the transitional group between the Amoraim and the Rishonim. Like people like Rashi and the like are already Rishonim. The Gaonim are in the middle. And they were very eminent. And the last of the Gaonim is considered to be the greatest of the Gaonim. It's around the year 1000, shortly before Rashi. And uh, he is known as Rav, an unusual name, Rav Hai Gaon. Hai, a name we don't use today, but uh, Hey Aleph Yud. And he's considered to be one of the greatest of the Gaonim, actually probably the greatest of the Gaonim. And Rav Hai Gaon addresses a very, very interesting question. And that is, if the Torah says you have to blow a trua, how could it be that some communities were doing it this way and some communities were doing it that way? Does that mean that two-thirds of the communities were doing it wrong? If, if only one of these ways is the right way, that means everybody else was not fulfilling the mitzvah of shofar. Is it possible that such a mitzvah got forgotten? I mean, how could it be that some people said that Trua meant this, and some people said Trua meant this, and some people said Trua meant that. So each person would not be say, according to the other person. So Rav Haigam gives a very important answer. He says that the Torah itself allows these different variations. The only requirement of the Torah is that the Trua simulate a form of crying. And there were three forms that that crying could assume. What we call the groaning, which is called shvarim, ay, 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 or whimpering, sobbing, called the trua, or a combination of groaning and sobbing. So it's not the pshat that some people were doing it right and some people were doing it wrong, but rather all of those communities were following a legitimate alternative understanding of what crying is. The Torah says these different forms are allowed and every person or every community can pick. So therefore, Rav Haigarin says, Rabbi Avo did not enact his takana to eliminate doubt, to be sure everyone's Yosei. You were Yosei no matter what you did. But he wanted there to be a standardization of minah. Okay, so we've now gone from nine sounds of the shofar to 30 sounds of the shofar. Okay. We now come to stage four. 
And now we're getting closer and closer to what is familiar to us. The sages enacted that in addition to the musaf blowing, we should blow the shofar before musaf as well. This is very late. This is after the Mishnah. Now, there's a name for this. The shofar blowing before Musaf goes by the name Tikios Dimiyushav. Tikios means blowing of shofar, although Tikios is only the Tikios, but it means the whole blowing of shofar. It is called the sitting down Tikios. Say again? Uh, well, that's, that's a machlokas. So, some actually say it was after the time of the Gemara. Some say it was uh, at some time in the Gemara, but we're not given a particular rabbi who did it. It became a custom that became prevalent. Uh, now, why is the Tekios before Musaf called Miyushav? Lamaisa, we stand up. We don't sit down for them. But since it's not in the Amida, theoretically you could sit down. The tekios after Malchios, Sichronis, and Shofros are called tekios dimumad, the standing up tekios, because they are in the Amida, they are in the Shemona Esrei. So the tekios dimumad are already from the Mishnah's time. The tekios dimiyushav is much later. Now, how much did they add to the miyushav? You have to blow 30, because again, again, if you need to blow Tekiah, Trua, Tekiah three times, and Rabbi Avo is Masaka, you have to have all of the variations. So that would mean in the Miumad, I'm sorry, in the Miyushav, you'd also have to have 30, meaning you blow Tekiah, Shvarim, Trua, Tekiah three times, Tekiah, Shvarim, Tekiah three times, Tekiah, Trua, Tekiah three times to get you 30. In other words, you're adding Miyushav with Rabbi Avo's. Takana. Now, why was Miyushav added? You don't need, I mean, you don't need Miyushav. If I hear it during Musaf, I've heard what I need to hear. Why did they add a whole set of 30 tekiyos before Musaf? So there are two reasons that are given for Miyushav. One reason is a very practical reason. Not everybody was able to stay in show for the lengthy Musaf davening. Some people were able to come to show for Shachris, and then they would have to leave, whether it's a, a nursing mother or an older person or a person not feeling well. So the Chachamim wanted to be sure that the, even the people who have to leave early will be able to hear shofar, so they were Mesakein Miyushav for that reason. That's one reason. Uh, the other reason, the Gemara says, is a little bit more mystical. That is, although the Miyushav is technically superfluous, it is the mechanism by which we confuse the Satan. And that is, the Satan is the Makatreg. The Makatreg is the prosecutor in Shemayim the devil's advocates, that is seeking to discredit the Jewish people and take away uh, our sincerity and everything else. 
But when we blow the shofar, which is really a summons to judgment, we're saying, we're ready, Hashem, to be judged. The satan gets confused. Because when a defendant is so eager to be judged, he may have some trick up his sleeve. We don't fully understand this, and the satan is not able to criticize us. So the extra tekiyas confuse the satan. So now we've gone, if you're following the numbers, we started out with nine shofar sounds, and we've gotten up to 60, six of, 30 miyushav, 30 mu'umat, 30 mu'umat, 60. We now come to level five. Level five, again, is not in the Gemara, but it is recorded among some Rishonim that it is proper on Rosh Hashanah to try to hear the shofar 100 times. Why do you have to hear the shofar or should hear the shofar 100 times? It is recorded because there was a Russia, a general, a Midianite general, Sisra, who was fighting and oppressing the Jewish people, and he was the general that Devorah was fighting against. And if you recall, at some point, Hashem made a miracle, and Sisra's army was uh, defeated, and Sisra was running away, and he went into the tent of a woman whose name was Yael, and Yael got him drunk on fermented milk, so fermented milk can get you drunk. And while he was deep in sleep, she killed him because he was an enemy of the Jewish people. And it mentions that Zavar had a whole song, a whole shira, praising Hashem for this miracle. And she mockingly portrays Sisera's mother waiting for her son to come home, but not because she cared about her son, but she says, where is he? I'm waiting for the jewelry. I'm waiting for the spoils. I'm waiting for the scarves and the clothing. He'll bring to me. And it mentions she cried a hundred times. So we blow the shofar a hundred times to defeat the power of her hundred cries. Now, question is, what am, what am I trying to defeat? I mean, she's long gone. I mean, she was, she was 2,500 years ago. What, what, what am I blowing the shofar today to defeat the cries of Sisera's mother? So the Mephorshim explained that Sisera's mother is a mashal to the idea that Hashem has rachamim for all human suffering, even the suffering of the unworthy or the rishayim. If Sisra's mother is crying, that awakens divine mercy for her, which is fine, but the problem is divine mercy for her, you know, for Rishayim, is going to be very bad for us. So we need, so to speak, to fight the mercy that Hashem would have for the Rishayim by turning to Hashem that we need mercy too. Now, if you think about this, this is a very relevant message today. So a Palestinian mother whose son died as a suicide bomber or whatever it would be. Now she might be full of grief or she might, uh, whatever it is. And that awakens mercy from Hashem. But the problem is the mercy of them would turn out to be something very bad for us. 
So we have to counteract that mercy. Not by asking, it's not that we're asking God to do bad things to them. We're just saying, Hashem, look at us, though. Look at us, look at us. Don't let the mercy you have for the Russia give them power to hurt us and the like. So at this point, we got to bridge a gap. We got to go. We've already, even before this thing about Sisra's mother, we've gotten up to 60. But now we got to go to 100. So I got to make up 40. This explains the blowing of the shofar after Muslim. And I'll, I'll first go over, Chabad is from different Menagam, I'll go over that too, but I want to go over the standard Ashkenaz custom, and then I'll go over the Chabad difference, because it is going to be a little different. I remember, you know, the first time I was aware of this, I mean, I've been listening to shofar for, you know, ever since I was very little, but I wasn't really paying attention to the counting and everything else. But I remember when I was in ninth grade, and I came to Neri Yisrael Yeshiva in Baltimore, and you know, davening is really, really, really very, very long, and I was exhausted. And finally, Musaf was over, and then all of a sudden, they start blowing the shofar again. I couldn't believe. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought we were finished already. Like every time I thought we were finished, something new was happening. But it actually, may, you might have that feeling too sometimes. But there actually is a very, very great logic. We already have sixty simply because by combining the miyushav, the muumad, and Rabbi Avo's takana. That gets you up to 60. So we have to have 40. Why? Because that's the Indian of getting 100 so we can combat the cries of Sisra's mother. So how do you get 40? You get 40 in two stages. Stage one is you blow your standard 30. That means three tekiyah shvarim trua tekiyahs, which gives you 12. Then three tekiyah shvarim Tekiah that gets you nine. And then three, Tekiah, true Tekiahs that get you nine. So 12, nine, nine is 30. And then you do one of each for another 10. And then one, Tekiah, Shvarim, Trua, Tekiah. One, Tekiah, Shvarim, Tekiah. One, Tekiah, Trua, Tekiah. In other words, you do three of each. And then you do one of each. And the last one is a long Tekiah, Tekiah, Gatola, and it's the end. And that's how you get 100. And the way we do it is... We, Sorry. Yeah? Did you get the last 10? No, the last 10 is simply one tekiah shvarim trua tekiah, one tekiah shvarim tekiah, one tekiah trua tekiah. Right? So you're going to have four times. Huh? You're going to have four times. What? Why? You need to do it all again at the end, and it's really just doing all the four times. That's correct. That's correct. You've, you've, done it four, you've done everything four times. That's correct. But it's split into three, 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 and then one, one, one. Yeah, you're right, it is four times, but, uh, but it's that way. And the way it's done is we actually do it in, in, in Kaddish, the, the, right after the repetition of the Amida, we have Kaddish. So the 30 are actually done in the middle of the Kaddish, and the last 10 are done after the Kaddish. Okay, and that way you have gotten yourself 100 shofar sounds. Now, let me explain one thing. Many, uh, many Hasidim and some Svardim as well have an interesting custom which is going to change everything here. And that is, when they blow after Malchios and after Zichronos and after Shofros, they don't only blow in the repetition of the Amida. They actually blow 
in the silent Shimona Esrei as well. Now, what does that even mean? What do you mean they blow in the silent Shimona Esrei? Every person is in a different place. The answer is, wherever the chazan is, in other words, the, the, the one who's blowing the shofar will be next to the chazan, and when the chazan in the silent has finished malchios, they'll give a thing, and they'll blow shofar, meaning they'll blow one of each, one of each after malchios, one of each after zechronos, one of each after shofar. So in other words, they'll blow in the silent as well as the Repetition. Who is this? Uh, that's the meaning of many chasidim. Now, what that actually means is that when you finish the repetition, you haven't just heard 60 sounds of the shofar. You've heard 90 already. So as a result, you don't have to make up 40. You only have to make up 10. So among many chasidim, the only thing you'll have to blow after the musaf is one of each because you've already made it up in the silent Shemona Esrei. So if you didn't blow in the silent Shemona Esrei, you'd have to make up 40. If you blew in the silent Shemona Esrei, you would have to make up 10. And that's to get you to 100 kolos, 100 sounds of sounding the shofar. Now, a few points here. The requirement of blowing in the Shemona Esrei is only if you're davening with a minion. If you're davening biachidus, you don't blow during the Shemona Esri. And if you're a woman or a man who wasn't able to go to show, you only have to hear the shofar 30 times. That means one of each, I'm sorry, three of each sound. Okay, so if I blow shofar for my wife after davening, I do not blow shofar a hundred times. I only blow shofar 30 times. Now, do you see why 30 is important? Because the mitzvah is tekiah, trua, tekiah, three times. And I got to do the three versions of it on Rabbi Avos Takana. Okay, that's where you get, that's why 30 is an important number here. Because 30 is the fulfillment of nine. The mitzvah is nine, but with all the options, it's going to be built up to 30. Okay? So the double Mu'umad and Miyushav, and certainly the Mea Kolos is only B'tzibor, only in a minion. It is not a requirement for a blowing afterwards or the like. Okay, so this is the interesting evolution of the mitzvah of Tekiyas Shofar. Now, there is an abbreviation, the way you could refer to this in a, in a shorthand, that's very, very useful. And that is the set that goes Tekiyas Shavarim Trua Tekiyas. That is abbreviated Tashrat. Tashrat is Tuf, Shin, Resh, Tuf. Now what does that stand for? The Tuf is Takia, the Shin is Shevarim. Now this one is a little tricky. The Resh is Terua. Now you might ask me, why trua begins with a tough? Why do you use the race? The answer is very simple, because tekiah also begins with a tough. So in order to differentiate the word tekiah from the word trua, we use the second letter of trua. 
And so Tashrat is Tikiya, Shuvarim, Trua, Tikiya. Tashrat. Tara, tashat is Tikiya, Shivarim Tikiya. Tarat is Tikiya, Tarua Tikiya. So the Shloshim Kolos are three Tashrats, which are twelve, three Tashats, which are nine, and three Tarats, which are another nine. Twelve, nine, nine. That's the Shloshim Kolos, and that is done in the Miyushav, and that is also done for anyone that needs to hear it outside of the minion. Okay, so maybe this is more than you wanted to know, but this is the uh, development of the different stages of Tikiyas Shofar, going from nine to a hundred, right? You've increased the more than uh, tenfold, ten times because of, because of this. Okay, yeah. Um, I just had a hard time understanding where the Hasidim, um, like how they, how they, how they don't get more than 100 pounds. No, no, it's, it's very good because uh, they did 30. In the silent Shemona Esrei, they do 30. In the repetition, they do 30. After... They don't do any Muslim They do. That's called Miyushav. The ones before Musaf. The ones before Musaf are 30. The ones in the silent are 30. The ones in the repetition are 30. And the one after Musaf, they'll only do 10. One Tashrat, one Tashat, right? You see? In other words, uh, if you didn't do it in the silent, you have to do 40. If you did it in the silent, you only have to do 10. Okay? Right? Everyone understands the, the general idea of, of, of the Kiyash. So now let me just share with you a, a little bit of a thought on, on the bracha that we make. Uh, no, we have Malchios, Sichronos, and Shofros. So the bracha of Shofor, I don't mean the bracha on the mitzvah of Shofor, but the bracha in the Musaf, at the end of the section of Shofros, uh, is a very, very interesting one, because it says to Hashem, Ki Shomeya Kol Shofor, you are the one who hears the sound of the Shofor, Umazin trua, and you hearken to the crying sound of the trua. V'yein domelach, and no one is comparable to you. So we say, Baruch atah Hashem, Hashem, Shomea, who listens, who hears, the call truas amo Yisrael, the sound of the trua of your nation Yisrael, with mercy. So again, without a PowerPoint, without a machzor, it's hard to remember the exact words, but there's a lot of repetition here. It says, you hear the sound of the shofar, and you hearken to the trua. What's the difference in those expressions? You hear the sound of the shofar, and you hearken to the trua. But then we say, shomea kol trua, you, you hear the trua. So you, you, you've gone from a verb lishmoa to a verb lahazin, 
which both mean here. One is here, one is hearken. But then for true itself, you say, you know, lahazin, and then you go to lishmoa. What's the point of these multiple expressions? So it's interesting, you know, one of the great poskim is the prima godim. And the prima godim very rarely talks about things that are not halacha, but here he actually gives a beautiful explanation. That is, let's take these two verbs. One is lishmoa, to listen, to hear, and one is lahazin, to hearken, which also means to hear, like ozen. What is the difference in connotation between lishmoa and lahazin? So, the Sefer Akedas Yitzchak, actually the Sefer Akedas Yitzchak says, Shemia is when I hear you at a distance. So if you talk to me from the end of the table, I'm Shomea. I can hear you from a distance. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the other way around, I'm sorry. Shemia is when I'm right near you. I can hear you very easily. Hazana is I'm at a distance, so I have to incline my ear to hear you. So again, Shemia is Karov. Karov. Hazana is Rachok. Rachok meaning I have to incline my ear because you're far away so I don't hear you very well. So that's first klal. There are two klal we need. In other words, Shemia is Karov. Hazana is Rachok. Second klal. The tekiah sound, which is pure and unbroken and straight and powerful, represents the tzaddik who never sins. The trua sound, which is broken and fragmented, represents the person who sins but cries to Hashem for forgiveness. Okay, so these are two hakdamos, right? Hakdama number one, shomea is close, hazana is distant. That's hakdama number one. Hakdama number two is the tekiah represents the righteous and the trua represents the broken-hearted sinner who wants to become close to Hashem. With these two hakdamos, let's analyze the bracha line by line. Initially we say, Hashem is shomea, the voice of the shofar, that's the tekiah. The tekiah are righteous people. Hashem is close to them. Hashem is close to the righteous. But what about the sinner who's far from Hashem? Hashem is not so close to him yet, but Hashem inclines his ear to hear the stirrings of his heart. In other words, he's Shomea, the tzaddik, and he's mazin to the hidden recesses of tshuva in the heart of the sinner. But then, this is the kicker, Baruch Hashem, Shomea kol teruas amo Yisrael. 
when the crying of the heart turns into a voice, meaning when it's actualized into action, and it's not just a thought of repentance, but it's actually carried out, Hashem is as close to the Baal Shuvah, Shomeya, as he is to the Tzaddik. And indeed, Chazal tell us, the place where the Baal Shuvah stands is even greater than the righteous person who never sinned. So it's a beautiful thing. Meaning, when the Trua is only in your heart and you haven't done anything, Hashem is listening, but there's a certain distance. Hashem is hearkening to hear the stirrings of your heart. But when the Trua becomes a call, a call meaning it's actually carried out into behavior, at that point, you become as great as the tzaddik, if not greater. And that's why it goes from hazana, mazin trua, to shomea, kol trua. Once it's kol, once it's been actualized, it becomes the kol, the kol trua. Okay, so that's a thought about the bracha. Very, very beautiful in terms of following the wording of that bracha as you go along. And a final a little point is that after we blow the shofar, we say the words, Hayom Haras Olam. So every translation says, this is the birthday of the world. Haras Olam, this is the birth of the world because the world was created on Rosh Hashanah. Actually, it was not created in Rosh Hashanah, but that's the sixth day. Adam was created on Rosh Hashanah. That's the purpose of creation. And that's the standard translation. I'm not sure what your machzor says, but virtually every machzor says, this is the day of the creation of the world. But there is a problem. That is, the word haras in Hebrew does not mean birth. It means conception. When a woman becomes pregnant, vatahar. So, some of Farshim say a very beautiful idea. That hayom haras alam does not simply mean this is the birthday of the world but this is the pregnancy of the world. This is a new conception of a new reality that we will be facing. It's not past looking. You see, when you say it's the birthday of the world, you're simply recounting that 5,783 years ago, you know, Adam was created. But if you look at it in terms of conception, you're saying this is the conception of the new reality that Hashem is giving us for the coming year. So it's looking to the future, Mamish. Okay, anyway, I guess we'll, maybe we'll stop here. I want to wish you all a a, a very good, good, and blessed uh, year, a year of bracha and good health and growth in Avaita Hashem. And uh, may indeed we be zaycha to the Gaula Shlema Bimheira, Mamish and the B.S. Mashiach Sitkenu, and Binyan Beis Amikdash. Everyone be, be well. Thank you.